Pastor Jeff uh, launched a new series last night, uh, last week, uh, intertwining the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and parables of Jesus in a creative way as two modes of communication of truth and wisdom. And last week, we heard from the book of Proverbs, and today, I'm going to read from the Gospels, and one of the parables which is commonly known as the parable of the rich fool, which I think is a title very offensive to rich people. I certainly don't want to offend rich people, so I, I am going to retitle it. Uh, I call it Stairs That Go Nowhere. Stairs That Go Nowhere. And I hope you'll figure out why I call that. So let's go to the scriptures. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. In 1881, a woman named Sarah Winchester became a widow. Her husband, William Winchester, suddenly died of tuberculosis, and he was only 43. And they were in the lineage of the Winchester Rifle Company, as you probably know. And when he died, he left a big inheritance for his wife, Sarah, now a widow. In 1881, it was around $21 million, which is approximately $560 million in today's currency. Not only that, 
because she was a major stakeholder at the Winchester Rifle Company, or Winchester Repeated Arms Company to be exact, she was getting every day a yielding from her stock was $1,000 a day in 1881, which is roughly $26,000 a day in today's currency. But Sarah Winchester was alone. Her husband passed away. She didn't have any children. They had a, they had a child, but she, uh, Anne Winchester, I believe, and she died at birth. So sitting alone, Sarah Winchester wondered, what am I going to do with this money? Just like the rich man in this parable. Lot of money, unexpectedly, a windfall, a, an amazing season or a heritage, or, a, uh, or uh, uh, she received this inheritance. So a spiritualist or a medium, whatever you call, who are supposedly channeling the spirits from the other side, told Sarah Winchester, this is what you should do. You should start building a mansion. She said, that's a good idea. I have a lot of money. But this is the problem. You have to keep on building it. You should never stop the construction of that building because the moment you stop, you will die. Now that was a curse. So in 1884, Sarah Winchester moved from New Haven, Connecticut to San Jose, California. She bought an old farmhouse and she started building that farmhouse, started building onto it. And because she was afraid of stopping construction, she built every single day and night, 24 hours, seven days a week for the next 38 years until she died. Today, if you go to San Jose, California, Winchester Mansion is known as a monument of architectural oddity and a haunted house. It's considered a, a ghost house. See, because Sarah was building for the sake of building because she had too much money, she did not have an architect, she did not have a master plan. So if you go to Winchester Mansion, they say it is full of winding corridors and windows that open to other rooms and stairs that go nowhere. To me, the Winchester Mansion and the story of Sarah Winchester is a modern day rendition of the parable of the rich fool that we just read today. The rich man kept building because he had too much money and that's all he could do. And he was thinking, what am I going to do with this money? So he built. Then he tear down. Then he built again. And in so many ways. And in the end, there is the surprising climax to the story. God appears and tells him, oh fool, what is going to happen to you if I ask your soul back? Now that is the climax. That is when we realize all this, this rich man was doing was building stairs that go nowhere, nowhere. See, I believe 
This is a metaphor of the modern life today, particularly in the consumeristic, materialistic world we live in today. In some way or the other, we are all building something, aren't we? <laughs> some of us are building career. Some of us are building business. Some of us are building churches. But very often in the busyness of building things, when we forget to reflect on what is the master plan, who is the architect, why are we building anyway? Why do I need this anyway? Why do I need a 10-bedroom be mansion? Why do I need a very, very expensive car? Nothing wrong with any of this. But the point is, at what point are we asking ourselves why? We don't do that because the medium, the spiritist of the world, the culture tell us the moment you stop, you die. Because we are taught to worship our work. We live in a hustle culture. Work hard. Why? I know we should work hard, but why? What is at the end? What is at the end of the stairs we are building? Have we ever stopped to think about that? And in some way, <laughs> we are all fools, aren't we? I didn't say this. Pastor Jeff said this last week. We are all fools. That's what he said. Don't get mad at me. He started it. <laughs> But I agree with them completely. In some sense, we can all see ourselves in this parable, including the churches. You know, uh, in the book of Revelation, in the first three chapters, there is a description of seven churches. And when it comes to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea, this is what is told of that church. Revelation 3.17, it says, Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. Man, I want to work in that church. I am rich, I am wealthy, I need nothing. Big budget, big building. <laughs> they can do everything. But then the Lord looks at them and say, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, that's rude. That's very mean. But the Holy Spirit looks at the church and say that you think you have everything, but I am telling you, you're rich, wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, because you are building stairs that go nowhere. I recently re uh, watched a documentary in Netflix. It's called The American Gospel in Christ Alone. It's more of a Bible study than a documentary. So if you watch, you have to start with the pen and paper because there are a lot of stuff that is going to come out of that documentary which is a critique of the prosperity gospel and you know the western church in general and one other thing that, stagger, that was staggering to me is that they said 
according to their survey, that many people who attend the church and even in leadership have never heard the gospel. Because we invite people to a barbecue night and some good people come and they enjoy the company of some Christians. And then they invite them for a movie night. They come again, they enjoy that. And then we invite them to church and the pastor preaches a a series on how to build your marriage or how to become successful or your best life now and some of this kind of series. And they feel, okay, this is a good place. And then we give them option to serve the community, which is really great. So they come on the understanding that this is a place where we can make our life better and we can make other places, other people's life better, which is perfectly right, everything is fine. But the problem is that a church is a place where we preach the gospel. And it is not their fault, it is the fault of the preachers like me. We sometimes forget the obvious. And Paul said... We preach Christ crucified. That's all we preach. And according to this documentary, and I completely agree with you in my experience of over 20 years of ministering in the Western world, we forget the fundamental. So I am telling you today that I don't know if you're a member of Lake Avenue Church or some other church, I don't know if you are in the leadership. I don't know if you are in a search committee. I don't know if you are in the ministry council. But if you have never heard the gospel, and I want you to remember that, it is about Jesus Christ coming to this world, dying for your sin, resurrecting on the third day, that you can walk in the newness of life. We are not preaching good works. We are preaching the good news, which says that none of our good works matter. None of these good works can take us to heaven. It is all stairs that lead nowhere, but Jesus who came down from the stairs, he is the one who saves us. So I want you to right now, if you have never understood the mystery of the cross, neither, I don't care whether you listen to my sermon or not, the rest of it, but surrender your life to Jesus Christ and sacrifice your body and your mind and soul in front of the cross. And that is the ultimate. Otherwise, we are building stairs that go nowhere. My brothers and sisters, I don't want any of our individual's lives and any of our family life or any of our church life to become Winchester mansions. I don't want us to be caught in the spider web and imagine a spider creating web and web and it is creating this for it to find earning. Imagine if a spider gets caught in its own web. That's the picture I get. And we don't want to get in this culture mantra which is being resonating in our mind, build, build, work, work. But in the end, are we building stairs that go nowhere? Brothers and sisters, and I want you to remember from this parable, this is not a critique of being rich. There is nothing wrong in being rich. Like I said before, at least I alluded to before, 
We are all fools. Some of them are rich fools and some of them are poor fools. That's the only difference. And when you are a poor fool, you won't get to act out on your folly so people think that you're smart, right? And I, I know that about you, you know, about me too, because, you know, I worked at Lake Avenue Church for around one year now, one year plus a couple more months, and I saved enough $5,000. I saved $5,000. And I got myself a motorcycle a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and some people think that is silly, <laughs> especially when you don't know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and it is still sitting in the underground parking lot because I'm afraid of taking it out. Uh, I'm not kidding. You know, I have driver's license. Uh, I have the motorcycle driver's license. I used to ride bike, but I, I haven't worked out the confidence yet to take it out. The point I'm I'm the point I'm making is, you know, whenever I pray to God and Jesus says, you know, Matthew, this is why I don't give you too much money. Because now everybody at Lake Avenue Church thinks that you're a smart guy. <laughs> at least some of them. But if I give you too much money, I know you, but if I give you too much money, they will all know how stupid you can be. You will act out on your fully. So I chose to remain a poor fool as opposed to some of you who are rich fools. We are all in it together. But the point, though, it is okay for being rich. See, see, being rich was not the reason Jesus called him a fool. Because that richness was given to him by God himself, right? He didn't earn that money like Sarah Winchester in an inheritance. He didn't earn that money in a business deal. It was yielded by the land. It was a harvest season. It was directly given by God. It is okay to be rich. It is good to be rich. Even though I critique prosperity gospel, there is nothing wrong with prosperity itself. But what was wrong in that? The key is in chapter, verse 21. It says, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich Toward God. Not rich toward God. I don't know if that is me or because English is my second language. But when I read that, I thought there was something wrong with that preposition. Rich toward God? What does that mean? You know, you can say rich in terms of God or rich in God, but toward is a directional preposition. So I went and checked Pretty much all the um, uh, translations translate it as rich toward God. So I went and checked the Greek, and it, they're also used that uh, the preposition is E-I-S, e which is something, you know, we will use when we say uh, east to west, or they went to Egypt. That's when that kind of preposition is used, which means it's a, it's a journey towards a destination. It is a directional preposition. And that's when I realized that the money, when you talk about the richness, the problem with richness is that we always quantify richness in terms of magnitude, how much money you have. So in the, you know, how do, how do I make this sense? So, okay, you know, if when you go to the middle school, middle school physics, okay, middle school physics, we are taught there are two kind of measurement. One is a, is a scalar quantity, 
and the other one is a vector quantity. A scalar quantity will only have magnitude, whereas a vector quantity has to have magnitude and direction. For example, when we say power or, the, or energy, which is a scalar quantity, it, it, is, it indicates a magnitude. But when you talk about force, it not only has a magnitude, it has to have a direction too, force, because it's a vector quantity. Forget, forget physics, sorry, I brought it up. But the point is, when it comes to riches, it not only has, it, it, it has a magnitude, but it also has a direction, which we often forget to acknowledge. Now this person, was not rich toward God. He had a great magnitude, but the direction was wrong. See, richness in the wrong direction can be worse than poverty. I'm gonna say that one more time. Richness in the wrong direction can be worse than poverty. What happened to this rich man is that when he got that money, the direction he took was inward. See, I'll read that, what he said. Isn't this funny? This is what it happens, verse 17. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to my soul, Saul, this man is talking to himself. There, is, there are around seven references to himself is being made in that particular story. It drew him inward. There are only two kind of people who talk to themselves. Either they are mad people or they are proud people. The proud people, they, they talk to themselves. They, they get the information from themselves. That's what happens to rich people all the, all the time because they surround themselves with people who always say yes. You are not, you are not, you don't, you don't have the guts to say no to a rich man, do you? So they, unfortunately, they are good people, but unfortunately, everybody around them say the same thing. So they are in effect, even though they have all this counsel around them, they are all, essentially, they are talking to themselves. And that was the beginning of the fall of the rich man. And that's why he ended up building stairs that go nowhere. How do we become rich toward God? The rich man in this story was being rich towards the world. How do we become rich towards God? How do we change the direction? For that, we need to go and meet his neighbor. I'm going to invite you to another house right across the street from this rich man. Of course, it's a work of imagination. See, that's, that's, what I, that's why I like preaching from parables. Parable itself is a work of imagination. So you have to apply. You have a lot of dramatic license or poetic license to interpret parables. So in your imagination, I am inviting you to the neighbor of this rich man. 
I'm going to call him Bob. Bob. Bob also had a harvest season, but it was terrible. He was a nice Christian man. He was also a preacher. Bob planted some fig trees, but they didn't bloom. He had a vineyard. It didn't produce any grapes. And he had a lot of olive trees. None of them yielded oil. Terrible famine in his land, in his area. And his cattle all got killed. They got cut off. What would you say if you were in his position? And you are this neighbor looking across the street. There is this rich man. He is making money and he is building stairs that go nowhere. There is a big party out there tearing down building, tearing down building. What would you say? You know what did Bob say? It's in the Bible. Bob is actually a man named Habakkuk. I thought it's better to call him Bob. It's, it's a mouthful. All I said was in the Bible. It was not a work of imagination. The only imagination part is that I placed him next to the rich man. This is what Bob, Habakkuk said. Habakkuk 3, verses 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Man, that's terrible. But here comes the kicker. The next line, the next verse is, Yet, yet, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet and makes me walk on my high places. And Habakkuk says, I am not worried. I am not upset. Here is my neighbor building stairs that go nowhere. But I don't have to build stairs because God has already made my feet like hinds feet. So I am going to leap over without a stair because God is going to make me walk on high places. The rich man built stairs hoping that he can go to high places. And the poor Habakkuk did not have the resources, did not have the means, did not have anything. All he had was God. He did not have a stairs. But God made his feet like hind's feet, a female deer, with this nimble and graceful, strong feet that can climb over the mountain. And Habakkuk says, I will walk on high places. My brothers and sisters, and I want you to remember that. And I believe that this is a promise from the Lord in this COVID season. And this is, these are very difficult times, I understand. I talk to many people who are filing bankruptcy, who are basically drowning in loans, got laid off, and I know life is difficult for you. So let me, let me conclude with a personal story. I don't say this um, lightly because this is very personal to me, but I am going to share this as I conclude. 
You know, around 12 years ago, I found myself in a very difficult place in my ministry. I was working as an associate pastor in a very uh, reputed church in downtown Toronto, and people loved me, had a great salary, everything is negotiated, and my wife had a great job in another very esteemed charitable organization, and we lived in an upscale neighborhood in a beautiful home, and we had two kids, two cars, and we were living the Canadian dream. But I remember there was this moment I felt empty and shallow. I, had, I lacked nothing because I was being groomed to be the next senior pastor at the time. I was still in my 30s, and uh, you know there was a lot of things going on, and I was doing very good. I was good at doing everything, but I felt empty and shallow. And I remember looking at Joanne, and she looked at me. She knew exactly. She read my mind. And I said, Joanne, what I'm doing in my church is building stairs that go nowhere. I run projects. I run programs. But I don't get time to do ministry. I want to be with people. I want, I want adventure. I, 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 I can't be settled <laughs> in some way. Because that's what we understand our ministry from our part of the world in India. When you become a minister, that's what you do. You have a very adventurous life. That's why I signed up. And Joanne said, don't worry, resign, don't worry about us. I submitted my resignation. The church had a tough time uh, accepting it. They said, Matthew, this is 2008, the financial break, you know, you know, the financial meltdown, everything is unfolding. This is a bad time to resign. Finally, thankfully, my PhD program at Fuller came through, so it was an excuse. I used a white lie to my church, and I said, we are going to move to California. We had no plan in 2008, 2009 to move to California at all. But we used that so that church won't feel bad and resigned. I still remember driving back uh, after my last day of work, and I was thinking, I, what in the world did I do? How do I support my family? How, do I, how am I going to take care of this, of my family? And I called the bank, and we didn't even have a savings account. We had a checking account, and the checking account, there was $3,000. They said $3,000. That was just enough for one month. Our mortgage was $2,400, then the property tax and the other utilities. So I knew I'm covered for one month. So I asked them, how many defaults I can make on the mortgage payment? They said, according to your contract, one default. But because of the financial breakdown, we might allow you to make one more. So I thought, okay, three months covered. <laughs> then I know my employment insurance will kick in. So that will cover another seven months. So in 10 months, I have, I have 10 months. So in 10 months, and I'm pretty sure that I can write a, I am going to write a book, and it will become the New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and my 3,000 will become 300,000. And if I get a movie deal from Hollywood, it will definitely become three million. If my uncle Spielberg directed, it will become 30 million. So I'm building the stairs from 3,000 to 300,000 to three million to 30 million. And suddenly I heard a crash. I, I looked up and I went and I hit a car. It was a fender bender. I, I, I came out and a gentleman and I said, I'm so sorry, sir. I know it's my fault. I'm going to repair this for you. It's a small bend. <laughs> Fender bender. So uh, I didn't want to go through insurance because Canadian insurance can be crazy. They will, they will penalize you for that. 
So I said, I'll, I'll pay from this. This, you know, don't worry about it. I got it. Little did I know that it was a BMW. And the crash was not that simple. <laughs> and in two weeks, I get a bill from the garage. Believe it or not, $2,999. And it is like Jesus telling me, Matthew, you were building stairs that go nowhere from a $3,000, right? I am going to take you $2,999 from that. I'm going to give you $1. Go to a coffee shop, have a coffee, let's have a conversation. $1, I couldn't even go to Starbucks. I went to a small sandwich shop. It's called Select Sandwich. I remember that time very clearly. And I cried like a little baby. Lord, what did I do? What did I do? The Lord was telling me, Matthew, you did nothing. You asked me for an adventure. I am going to give you one. Let me cut my story short. The last day I received a paycheck from a full-time ministry job was that day, was 2009, April 30. And my next full-time ministry job with a paycheck was 2019, May 1st, from Lake Avenue Church. That was 10 years. I asked for an adventure of 10 months, and the Lord gave me 10 years. You know how many defaults I made on the mortgage? Zero. In the last 10 years, I got a PhD, which is the ultimate, the terminal degree in my field. My wife got a master's degree in accounting and a CPA, which is the ultimate qualification in her field. Both our kids go to major universities in America and in Canada. You know how much student loans we have? Zero dollars. The Lord used us to establish two ministries, one in Canada, one in here, with 501c3 organizations, creating resources with major publishers, and creating an online platform where people from all over the world is signing up and learning about the gospel. You know how much money I have raised in ministry? Zero dollars. Up until this time, God never allowed me to ask for money to anybody. How did this happen? I wish I could tell you. I have no idea. I have no idea. There was this gentleman named uh, Heinz Hachette, and uh, he was kind of a mentor to me in Canada, and this German engineer, a business owner, he would connect with me, you know, we would go for once in a month. He, he listened to me. He heard me preaching in one church, so he took me out for lunch, and then eventually uh, we became friends. Once every month, we meet. Anyway, and one day, Heinz was so upset, he never knew that I was like a traveling preacher. He knows how much a traveling preacher make. And we have been friends for two years. I never shared anything with him. And then he was so upset and said, Matthew, I'm so angry with you. I thought I am your friend. Why didn't you tell me anything about your ministry? Why didn't you tell me anything about the needs of your ministry? I said, Heinz, I had this $1 coffee with Jesus a while ago, and he told me not to ask for your need. I will ask for my church. I'll ask for other people. That's a very different thing. Sure enough, 
I get this check from Heinz that Christmas time towards the end of the year. A check came in the mail. And from that point onwards, every year, a check would come for, we call it our Christmas gift from Heinz. And every year we will have this check, even after moving to, uh, to the US, this check will come. And 2017, Heinz passed away. He went to be with the Lord. And fortunately, I couldn't go because it was in Canada. I was here, it was bu very busy. So I, was rem I remember jokingly saying to Joanne, there goes our Christmas gift, because <laughs> Heinz went to be with the Lord. Sure enough, 2017, Christmas time came, another check from Heinz. And I opened it, it was double the amount. It was double the amount. I called up and said, hey, we got this check, where is it from? So his daughter, Daniela, picked it up. And she knows me, and we never had a meaningful conversation or anything like that. I, never, I didn't really know her at the time. She said, Pastor Matthew, I know how much you meant to my father. So I am going to continue this tradition. I am going to send you this check. Now we get every single Christmas, including 2019 Christmas, a check that is double the amount Heinz used to give. I don't know how this happens. Now this is the best part. This is the best part. Up until this time, none of this check have been cashed for our purpose. It is all deposited in a ministry account in Canada. All the checks from Heinz, because God never allowed us to use it. There's nothing wrong with using that. It is meant for us, but we are keeping it for the ministry when we are getting a chance to do something in Canada. That's why I'm keeping that money. The point I'm trying to make is, if we are trying to build stairs for ourselves, brothers and sisters, it is going to go nowhere. I am inviting you to the neighbor's house, Mr. Habakkuk, and I'm inviting you to say a prayer with him. Lord, make my feet like Heinz's feet so that I can walk on high places. As the worship team comes up, and they are going to close with the leading, uh, leading us in, 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 in a song. I want to read a scripture as a prayer. And this is the second part of this parable. And as Pastor Chuck very clearly gave you the context, this parable was given for a couple of guys who were pre presumably greedy. And he was trying to, uh, to talk to people who are not Christians in a way, right? But... Verse 22 says, and he said to his disciples, okay? So up until this time, he was not talking to his disciples, but now it is being said to the disciples. And I want you to close your eyes if you can, because I want you to hear this as Jesus himself is speaking to you. Just imagine that Jesus is there in the room with you, and he is speaking to you these verses. And I know you are going through a tough time, brothers and sisters. I know this is not a good time for hearing some uh, self-help kind of messages. And I invite you to the house of Habakkuk. Kneel down with them and pray with them. And this is Jesus' answer to you. Remember, Jesus is giving this to you right 
talking to you right into your ears. For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry? Why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of this. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Amen.